You know, a lot of people don't know about all these taxes that they're going to hit the the tax torpedoes or tax time traps in retirement. You know, Social Security, Medicare, Irma, RMDs, and you know they're they're just not aware of it. So I think you know people have no problem paying taxes, but they they feel that the taxes they pay are fair because they just haven't been shown that they're overpaying. And I think once they figure out they're overpaying, they're like, yeah, I like that way better. This is the Retire Happy Podcast with John Amarino, teaching you each episode about holistic retirement plans. It's another Retire Happy Podcast with San Diego's premier holistic retirement advisor, John Amarino. I'm Walter Sorholt. John is a fiduciary financial advisor, a retirement management advisor at Securus Financial, serving you in the San Diego area with an office on Trina Street. They're off of uh, Interstate 15 next to Scripps Ranch High School. You can find them digitally online at gosecurus.com. John, what's up in your world? How are you, my friend? Not a whole lot. Just, uh, you know, starting that new year off, getting it going. Are, Are you hanging on to your New Year's resolutions so far? Yeah, you know, I don't do New Year's resolutions. I think we talked about this last year. Yeah, you don't really like making them, do you? Yeah, just, I mean, listen, uh, you know, with all the nonsense and all the, the gym lockdowns, I, I'm i all in, my wife would say this, I'm all or nothing. I can't, I can't just, like, if I'm not going to the gym, I can't just be like, oh, I'm going to. I'm going to eat my macros this day and this day, and I'm going to be all good with my diet. Nope. If I'm not in the gym, psychologically, I'm just... Yeah. And so, you know, and then you got Thanksgiving, the holidays, a couple camping trips. So, you know, I pretty much... uh, I pretty much lost uh, pretty much all all the gains I had made over the last, you know, six or seven months. So, uh, you know... It's just time to I, I you know I I look at New Year's resolutions as just something like a short term, right? Like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna feel good for a month, and now I just got to get. I I think the biggest thing for me is just get back in line and uh, get myself used to getting up at you know oh dark hundred and and getting to that gym, getting my uh, getting my workout in because even though I don't like, and and of course with the holidays it's a little bit slower around the office, so. Um, you know, it, it doesn't affect me as much as maybe like a, you know, a February or March day in the office where I'm busier. But I still, you know, it's, what is it, Newton, Newton's law of body in motion. Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer of that. And I have, I have definitely had a lot less energy, you know, since Thanksgiving than, than when I'm dialed in with uh, getting to the gym first thing in the morning and eating right. So your, your your New Year's resolution, if we were to peg it that way, would definitely be to just get back in motion this year as much as you possibly can. Yeah, just, you know, live how you're supposed to – live how you've told yourself to live, Yeah, I guess. I uh, bought some dumbbells, some new dumbbells for the home gym uh, back in uh, – I think it was October. And uh, boy. They're, they're supposed to get here at the end of February. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I, I saw something when, you know, we, we were in the, here, the the gym lockdowns and all that, that people were hurrying up and stealing all the weights from their gyms. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, very true. I, I did the, uh, have you ever used the Bowflex where you can make them different weights by just turning the dial and they turn to different weights and that kind of thing? Have you ever tried those? Yeah, that's like 80s, man. 
Uh, I, the Bowflex look, has been around for a while. Okay, good, good. Well, they have the. I mean, my buddy has one, and he says it's the best piece of equipment he's ever he's ever owned. So, I tried to get my hands on one of them, but they were so back ordered that they keep pushing the deli- expected delivery date out on them. So I was like starting to get impatient. And I went online to look and see if I could. Um, you know, find one on Craigslist from somebody who's given up, and people know that people are desperate for them. So used sets are going for like three times the price of a normal set. So. Oh yeah, yeah, that will. I lived that nightmare. Uh, Christmas shopping. I, okay. We were trying yep. to get. I we had to pivot, um, and uh, Jake wanted a PlayStation Five, so we were looking for one, and you know, I I tried, and I I had like these apps that would tell you when they're in stock. And I literally one day is Walmart at noon or at noon Pacific time, they're going to release, you know, so I had both computers. I'm sitting there and like at 1159, refreshing my page, refreshing my page a minute early. It turns, you know, the second it turned noon, I hit refresh and it's like sold out. I'm like, how is this possible? So I, you know, come Christmas morning, I, we gave him, you know, a little PlayStation, you know, picture and say, hey, buddy, listen, they, they just didn't have any in, in <laughs> stock. I Trust me. I tried. I, I stood outside. S- Santa couldn't make them fast enough. Oh, no, we, we, were, we, we took the hit on this one. Santa, <laughs> Santa got him a bicycle, a sports Santa, bike. Santa's intact. Wants. Santa's reputation yeah. is good. Santa okay. doesn't. Yeah. Santa's got to. <laughs> He's got to always be able to produce. So I said, you know, we'll take the hit for this one. You know, well, and, Santa's and, very wholesome. He's giving him a bicycle to go and and ride around and be healthy. You 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 were the ones, you know, rotting his brain with video games. And things yeah. Like that, well, so. the, Santa's probably going to be the one that's going to give me the ER bills because it's like a dirt bike. There he, he goes <laughs> dirt bike racing with his. So they have like <laughs> like a literal track with mounds and all this. And there you go. You know, no, it's Santa, about a couple Santa's races in, influence. you're seeing it looks like the Daytona 500, all these kids piled up on their bikes on the dirt track, so. Oh, my gosh. that's That must be hilarious to watch. Yeah. And a, and a little nerve-wracking for mom, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, just a little bit. Too funny. Well, uh, here's to uh, succeeding in resolutions, even if we don't call them resolutions. How about that as we That's go good. through 2021? Uh, on today's show, we're going to take a little bit different spin on things. You know, we often talk here on the show about common this and common that, you know, common questions, common problems, common solutions, those kinds of things, common strategies. We're going to flip it around the other way. We're going to go with uh, the things that nobody ever says about their financial plan or about their financial situation. So we're going to go the extreme opposite direction and look at what never happens and find out exactly, well, why? Why don't we ever hear these things and what logical sense can we draw out of that? And I think there's some really good lessons embedded in it by uh, taking a different approach on some of these questions. So that's coming up today. Plus, we're going to have a good question from Ellen. Uh, Ellen's wondering about refinancing a mortgage, um, but then kind of wondering a little bit about you know term and uh, interest rates and how old they are and just dealing with all those kinds of things. So it should be a, an intriguing question from her to end the show a little bit later on. But let's kick it all off by finding out what's happening in the news. Extra, extra, read all about it. Now, this headline came uh, near the end of 2020, John. We're just now getting the chance to kind of talk about it here on the show. But I think the the sentiment is relatively applicable for a little while here, at least. The conversation is good. And so this headline is that China is considering raising its retirement age. Now, it currently is uh, only 60 for men and 55 for women, uh, white-collar workers. 
Uh, when do you think we'll see a change in the U.S. and our current retirement age standards, John? Yeah, Walter, I think that with baby boomers, we're, we are actually seeing that change right now when it comes to retirement age and, and just a standard of retirement, right? The, the majority of today's retirees don't have pensions, and that's a major shift from past generations of retirees, right? They worked 30 years for the same company. They got that nice party, the gold watch, and that pension for life. And you know, for baby boomers, well, the ball is now in your court. And you have to fund your retirement, assuming you know you're going to maximize some Social Security benefit to also help with that income. But retirement is 100% you, and you know the only area where I kind of see the exception, and, and even those ages are now starting to creep up, is in public safety. You know, a lot of those guys were retiring right at 55, 56 years old because they'd retire at 50. They would take a deferral on their, their what they call the drop account where they can re- defer their retirement for five more years. Um, but, you know, it's pretty much a hard and fast kind of pension um, that they could collect at 50 years old. And, you know, now that's even going up now to 55 and whatnot because obviously they're having the longevity issues with pensions. So, um you know, I see public safety, you know, they're still retiring early, but for most private, especially white collar workers, I'm seeing the average of, of people retiring anywhere from 63 to 67 years old. You know, some are working close to 70. I get a couple that are retiring, you know, maybe in their, their you know, 60 to 63s, but that's pretty much the good core group within those four years. And, um, you know, I tell people as a planner, when I see people retiring in their early 60s, especially in their 50s, I encourage them to go get a part-time job or do some type of volunteering because you need to stay, you know, mentally sharp. And by keeping that type of work or volunteer commitment, you're keeping your mind in motion. It's kind of like what we alluded to with me not going to the gym. It's that, you know, that... The, the laws of motion, keep your body in motion, keep your mind in motion. So, um, yeah, I think we are in that shift. But, you know, if, if you're going to retire, you know, even in your early 60s and, and mid-60s, I think uh, you, you still got to have to have some purpose in life, too. It's a great point. You definitely need that purpose, and you need to have a plan for how you're going to live out those elements of your life. That's really important. Uh, So it's good discussion, something that's going to be interesting to watch over the years. I do feel like there is going to be that two different movements. So you'll have that that median of still in the traditional retirement ages, but a lot of people pushing to do the early retirement thing. That's definitely the fad and the trend among a lot of people in our generation, John. And then I think there's then the other part that sees the need to work later and the desire, like you laid out, uh, people that want to push it further and further. And it'll be more socially acceptable to work into your 70s many, uh, in many cases uh, because you want to, not because you need to necessarily. So it'll be interesting to watch over the coming years. All right, things nobody says, John. You've probably never heard anybody sit across from you in the office and say the statements we're going to talk about on today's show. I'm, I'm betting that's the case. Um, I'll give you the statement. I'll pretend to be the person across from your desk. You tell me why uh, why I'm lying, why nobody nobody would ever say these things. Uh, first one on the list. Start you off with an easy one. I really regret, John, putting all that money into my Roth IRA every year. 
Well, if we were role playing, I'd be like, get out of my office. No. <laughs> yeah, I have yet to have anyone say that to me. Uh, I, I've no one that I've talked about uh, or talked to in my office in my you know eight plus years of full planning has said I I really regret doing Roth 401ks or Roth IRAs during my accumulation. And in my case, most of my clients are doing Roth conversions, not, you know, the IRA contributions because they're they're to that point where they're, you know, close to retirement or or are retired. But even in their cases, I've never heard anyone say that you know, I I that doing a Roth conversion was a big mistake. And you know, Part of it's because when we do our Roth conversions, it's very calculated. My clients know how much they're going to convert and what their tax bill is going to be. And I think that my clients really appreciate the fact that when they're doing this type of tax management, they're actually obtaining control of their tax destiny and their future tax liability. Especially today when so many people believe taxes will be higher in the future. I mean, what, Walter, we only have over $27 trillion in national debt. And then we have politicians out here saying that we want to pay off the exorbitant school debt of everybody. We want to give free health care for all and have some type of monthly income benefit for everything or for everyone. And, and I mean, I, I know I sound cold and callow, but let's come back to reality. Nothing's free, right? The school debt's just not going to be forgiven. It's going to be paid for by taxpayers who already probably paid their school debt themselves, and now they're going to get to flip the bill of other people who went to a school that they couldn't afford. Healthcare is not going to be free, right? It's going to be paid for by the taxpayers, and the government just isn't going to hand out free money every month. They're going to do that, and they're going to have to get that money from somewhere. And where do you think that money is going to come from, Walter? Mm, from us. Oh, the taxpayers, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, listen, you know, and that's that's why I tell people, listen, you don't understand. You really don't know what's going to happen in Washington, D.C. And, you know, so if you have some control, and, and David Walker said it back in 2010 when our when our debt was only at $10 trillion or $11 trillion, he said taxes are going to have to double to pay down this debt. Well, we are far beyond that. And, you know, we're, we're heading to, you know, a point in time where taxes, you know, may easily have to double. That might be a best case scenario. So, yeah, no one's ever in this current environment, no one's saying, hey, I bought out the government and I regret it. Yeah, great point. And along those same lines, another hypothetical for you, John. I was sitting across from you, and I say, uh, you know, in retrospect, I, I hate that I saved so much money. I, I really should have spent more. Uh, I should have saved less because now I've got all this money, and I don't, I don't know what to do with it. I don't think I could spend it all. You know, that one, that one's kind of a fine line. I can kind of see some rational Okay. Or rationale about that. Okay. Um, you know, my wife and I always go back and forth because um, she's like a Tim McGraw song, you know, live like you're dying. And then you got me, <laughs> Mr. Financial Planner, saying, hey, we need to financially plan as if we're going to live forever. You know, and she's, you know, and especially, you know, with 
with all the you know unfortunate deaths that we experienced in 2020, especially with with losing Sean, you know, she's like, we just have to live in the moment because you never know what may happen. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, so I think this one you have to have a rational approach. Don't outlandishly overspend and try to keep up with the Joneses, right? Uh, you don't need all your purses to be Chanel and Louis Vuitton. You don't need all your lo- vacations to be at the Ritz-Carlton. But on the flip side, you you just shouldn't stay at home to save money and you know eat cheese sandwiches and not experience life just so you can save for a future that, like my wife said, is not guaranteed. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. So I say split the difference and live your life within reasons. And, I mean, first and foremost, experience things, make memories with the people you love. Because even after you're gone, those experiences are going to live on. And when you are doing experiences and vacations, stay at places you can afford, whether it's a motel or, you know, a decent but not top-of-the-line hotel, stay there. If you need a new purse or you want a new purse, go to Nordstrom's Rack, not Saks or Nordstrom's, right? You can you can get nice stuff at other stores than the big name brand stores. You don't always have to be a name brand just for the vanity of it. Now, if you can afford nice things after setting aside money for your future, then by all means live your lifestyle. And and I think, Walter, we've discussed this. I have an affinity for my, my custom-made suits and, and shoes. That's one of my guilty pleasures. I like, I like fine suits. I like fine watches. But I don't go out and buy 10 of them all at once, right? I'll buy one, and when the finances dictate, I'll buy another. But only after I've paid myself, right? Pay yourself first. And by all means, if you're going to buy expensive things, and I I preach this to my son all the time, if you're going to buy expensive things, plan to have them for a long time and take care of them. Make, Make them look as if they're brand new for as long as you can. Yeah, all good things to think about there. And I agree with you. The point is just uh, nobody's really that much of a miser where they're, uh, you know, regretting having saved so much money over their lifetime. Nobody regretted having cash to deal with in retirement and that flexibility that it brings. It's it's still a very envious position to be in. That's the thing to remember there for sure. All right, I'm across from you. Another scenario, hypothetical, and we're going to change gears a little bit here. And uh, I think this is an important one for us to discuss. And, um, you know, you've had some instances like this hit close to home in the last couple of years, John. Uh, But it comes down to, to life insurance. And nobody's ever sat across from you and talked about the life insurance payout that they get when a loved one, uh, when a significant other passes away, and view it as an insulting thing, an insulting gesture, like, oh, I couldn't handle the finances without some help. Um, has it ever not been a blessing for somebody when they've got those those dollars there to help out in that time of need? Yeah, no one's ever come into my office, Walter, from uh, with a check that's tax-free, from an insurance company, you know, and the checks for you know, hundred thousand, couple hundred thousand, or a couple million, and be upset about that. 
that's just not happening. Um, you know, I don't think anyone takes, you know, takes exception to, oh, you think, didn't think I needed some help because, you know, quite the contrary. Um, you know, life insurance is very big for a surviving widow or widower, especially if you have young kids. But, you know, we always talk about the widow tax. You know, before we get to the kids, let's talk just about the widow tax in all or, or you know, the surviving spouse is going to get a tax-free benefit. And we've talked about this in the past that when one spouse dies, and it doesn't matter if you're the breadwinner or not, the surviving spouse goes from married to being single. And thus, their tax status changed from married filing jointly tax status to being a single filer. So their income usually goes down, their taxes usually go up. So now they have a tax-free benefit that they can utilize. Um, and, you know, in my case, you know, aside from, you know, my wife would, if something happened to me, she would, you know, go into a, a head of household type of of filing. But, you know, m- in my case, it's not so much taxes, but I have a substantial amount of life insurance with a mixture between permanent and term because if something does happen to me, I want my wife to be able to experience life with my kids as if I was here. And I want her to be able to keep the house we're in, you know, and and if they want to go out to, you know, sushi or, or a nice restaurant, it's it's not being replaced by, you know, oh, we have to go to McDonald's. You know, th- those are our new dinners. Um and, you know, I don't want to add to the stress of my wife's life in, in trying to figure out how I'm going to pay the bills. Or, like I said, are we going to have to sell the house on top of the stress of her losing her husband and her father? So, um, yeah, that's another one that has never happened in my office. If you have any questions about what we talk about here on the show, you can always reach out to John Amarino. I know we cover a lot of topics each episode, and so there may be something that strikes a chord with you, uh, motivates you to take action on your own plan. Maybe you haven't taken those steps to protect your loved ones in the event you pass away, and how would they be taken care of in the wake of your passing? You know, Those are things that need to be addressed, and uh, they can be figured out not just in a vacuum, but as part of your overall financial and retirement plan. And if you'd like to talk with John Amarino, a retirement management advisor, fiduciary financial advisor at Securus Financial, you can do that certainly. 858-935-6210 is the number. Or you can go to gosecurus.com to get in touch, and we'll put contact info in the description of today's show. Another scenario we see, John, or shall I say that we never see, is when somebody sits across from me and says, you know, it makes me feel really patriotic to pay more taxes than I have to. I want to be the best taxpayer in the world and, uh, you know, donate as much as I can to Uncle Sam. Uh, So don't tell me about any strategies to to pay less taxes. How can we pay more? (laughs) Well, Congress in the state of California certainly likes you then. Um, I mean, this is my approach, and and California is a great example. I think our politicians, and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, both Democrat and Republican have shown a major lack of respect for our tax dollars. And, you know, they have, you know, just wasted a lot, an absurd amount of our tax dollars over the years. And I think, you know, anyone who's got kids that you could probably relate that if our kids racked up as much debt 
as our government has and came to us as parents, then we would be extremely irritated with them. And we would have probably either have a hard time or refuse to bail them out. And, you know, kind of going back to that uh, comment, you know, that, you know, that you, you're patriotic and you would want to pay more taxes. Listen, nowhere in the Constitution and even in congressional laws or IRS laws does it say that we have to spend more than what those codes say. So I've never had it. But if you feel that way, here's an idea. Pay the taxes that you legally owe. You're doing your civic duty. You're a good citizen, patriotic enough. And if you want a little bit of extra patriotism, give whatever extra money that you feel makes you more patriotic for those taxes and donate it to wounded soldiers and their families or a charity that you're passionate about and a charity that makes our country a better place. Then it's a win-win. Great points, and no more needs to be said on that one. That one's obviously super unrealistic, but it's a good reminder for why we think the other way. Sometimes I think it's good to put yourself in the mindset of the, the crazy and the ridiculous so you can get steered back on track to to why you believe what you do in the first place. So that's right. Yeah, that's why we don't want to pay more in taxes than we need to. These are the benefits that we can get out of taking that little extra attention to care, that attention to detail. All right, and, last and you know what? Oh, yeah, and, go ahead. And, and you know what? On that, Walter, I, I think that while the statement's not made, I, I think that a lot of people just don't know that they're overpaying or that they're setting themselves up to mm. overpay. So they're really saying that with their actions, just not their words. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, I'll butcher the phrase, but, you know, it's what you don't know, you know, that that is actually, you know, ha- occurring and you just never knew it until it's brought to your attention, then you're like, whoa, hold on. You know, a lot of people don't know about all these taxes that they're going to hit the the tax torpedoes or tax time traps in retirement. You know, Social Security, Medicare, IRMA, RMDs. And, you know, they're, they're just not aware of it. So I think, you know, I think that's kind of like an unsaid, you know, people have no problem paying taxes, but they, they feel that the taxes they pay are fair, because they just haven't been shown that they're overpaying. And I think once they figure out they're overpaying, they're like, yeah, I like that way better. Was it the Donald Rumsfeld quote that you were reaching for about known unknowns and unknown unknowns? No, no. Oh, okay. It sounded like that's the direction you were going in. You, you've heard that one before, right? Kind of fits. Yeah, it about. was the one quote like, like about not knowing something. Like you can't know something that you don't know. I don't know. I'm butchering it. Yeah, you got it. Uh, the the Rumsfeld one was always my favorite because he goes, there are there are known knowns, right? Known knowns. There are things that we know that we know. There are known unknowns to say that there are things that we know we don't know, right? And then there are unknown unknowns, the things that we do not know we don't know. <laughs> and those, uh, did you just Google that? Yeah, I did. I, okay. Because if I try say. to do it from memory, I mean, I, I, I remember the logistics of it, but uh, I have to Google it from time to time so I don't completely fumble it whenever I bring it up with somebody. But <laughs> uh, The unknown unknowns, and those are the things. What, what, what do we not know that we need to know? Uh, that's kind of what I get from what you're talking about there with taxes. You know, Sometimes people just don't even know what their possibilities yeah. are, what's out there. So interesting. That's a that's a fun one. One of the more dizzying quotes of all time, for sure, uh, but with a lot of wisdom in it. All right, last but not least, one more scenario. Somebody comes across from you. This one's recent. They say, John, 
Come on, man. I love these big market corrections. Love it. I love the roller coaster ride of it. 2008 was my favorite year until 2020. Topped topped all all years before. That was even better with the ups and downs. Yeah, uh, yeah. I haven't talked to anyone that really enjoyed March. Um, yeah, I think there are people who, if they had a plan for the market downturns, were and were invested accordingly, and their plan was was designed within their values, goals, and and risk capacity, that they felt good about their plan but they still probably lost money or in a best case scenario, they may not have lost money, but they didn't make any uh, money like they were in 2019. So for the average investor, I don't think uh, I'll ever hear that come out of their mouth. Now for, you know, very institutional or bright minds that have seen something going on that, you know, kind of defies fundamentals, you know, and one mind that comes to, one one name that comes to my mind is Michael Burry from uh, the Big Short. You know the 2007 to 2009 market crash. He bet against the market. You know he he saw all the issues with the credit de- uh, default swaps, and and he was betting against the market, and he made a killing. He looked like a genius in the end, and he made his clients uh, that were in, in that invested in his fund a ton of money in the end. But if you ever read the book or seen the movie, you would know that his clients were furious with him because in the beginning, his fund was dropping and it was doing bad. And then he restricted the outflows, right? So no one could take money out of the fund. So they were trapped and, you know, people were threatening him and, and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, in the end, it worked out uh, really, really well for both him and his clients. But, you know, there were still those painful moments. So maybe a guy like him, said it was fun or, you know, even closer, you know, maybe, uh, you know, some of our politicians that like to do insider, insider trading right before, you know, the coronavirus hits or some of those big wig CEOs that just conveniently made billions of dollars by selling their investments right at the beginning of the coronavirus. Yeah. I'm fine if you want to do that when you're using the information that the rest of us have, but yeah, you can't be making statements that all this peachy in the world and then dumping in the background. Not a right. good look. Not a good right. look. But then again, I mean, that's you know to 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 bash on on Congress. You know, yeah, it's pretty easy to do. What what's good for us <laughs> isn't good for them, right? They they right. exempt themselves from all sorts of laws that uh, that they hold us to. Yep. Exactly. All good points, John, and uh, thanks for taking me uh, you know, down that little journey with you into the hypothetical land where we could uh, pretend some of these things actually were said across from you and what your reaction would be. Uh, I think there's a lot to learn from this discussion. If you've got additional questions for John, feel free to reach out. 858-935-6210 is the number to call. Or go to gosecurus.com, and you can schedule a time to meet with John very easily that way as well. And tap into lots of great resources like past episodes from the show, uh, videos, blog posts, lots of good stuff there on gosecurus.com. And we'll put the contact info in the description of today's show on your favorite podcasting app. All right, John, little quote of the month for some food for thought here. Uh, one of the funny things about the stock market is that every time one person buys, another person sells, and both think they are astute. That's a pretty good quote. That's from William Feather, and that definitely makes you think a little bit. 
Yeah, I thought you were going to throw that Donald Rumsfeld quote back at I me. Should've, I should have finished. I should have supplanted I'm that like, one I, as the quote of the month. <laughs> I'm like trying to Google it really quick. Um, yeah, that's that's a true true statement. Um, but I think the numbers are, are really inverse and very different, right? Going back to March. In March, a lot of people sold. And not a lot of people, you know, aside from the aggressive... And, and probably more sophisticated uh, investors or people who had aggressive strategies, not a lot of those people were buying. I mean, they were buying, but, you know, in the numbers to who was selling, those were definitely different, you know, much higher uh, volume of people selling, um, you know, because the common investor was freaking out, yeah, right? Especially retirees. They're like, well, my, yeah, I'm losing my wealth here. And, you know, we've talked about that several times with the Dalbar studies. But, you know, and then on the flip side, when the markets are at a high, you know, there's people that strategically sell because they know it's overvalued. And then there's a lot of people that buy right into that euphoria. You know, oh, the markets are at all-time high. I'm going to, I got to hurry up and go out and buy, you know, you know, this stock or, or that fund and, you know, like Warren Buffett says, you know, he buys when people flee and when fee- when when people are fleeing, that's when he's buying. That makes sense. Yeah. When there's uh, when other folks are scared, when there's fear, be confident. And when everybody else is overconfident, uh, be fearful. You know, be, right. be, wary, be wary. Um, yeah. Don't follow that herd mentality in a way. But you know what, also, I mean, from a behavioral standpoint, behavioral finance psychological standpoint that's real easy for warren buffett to say because he has a billion dollars right so yeah it's a good point market market goes up 0.1 percent it's a pretty good day for him with that with that kind of um, yeah capital and power right <laughs> i mean ultimately listen just just have your plan and yeah. stay the course of your plan you know don't don't try to time the market great points all right it's time to get to know you a little bit as we answer one of our listener questions on the mailbag it's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. This question comes to us from Ellen in Del Cerro. Duh, Ellen says, we have the opportunity to refinance our house at a lower interest rate. But the problem is that it would be a 15-year mortgage, and we only have five years left to pay now. We're 60 years old, and the idea of still having a house payment until we're 75 seems like a bad idea. What do you think? Yeah, that's a great question, Ellen, um, especially because I think a lot of people are getting wrapped up in the, you know, in the commercials that you, know, you can get, you know, interest rates are at all-time lows, and you can refinance, you know, at two and a quarter percent, and, you know, that's intriguing, but... And, and, you know, not giving a specific recommendation, but I would really kind of, I would consider not doing it. Um, But I would want, before having a specific answer, I'd want to see your amortization schedule first. And here's why. Chances are the majority of your payment that you're currently making is probably almost all principal and little interest. So the refi may not have a huge dollar difference because you're, you know, the interest that you're paying, even if it's at a higher level, is so low. And if you refi to a 15-year mortgage, you're bringing on, like you said, that additional 10 years of expenses. 
And especially now, and, and even and even this was true before the the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. You know, retirees weren't getting those huge interest deductions that they could deduct on their Schedule A. And now with standard deductions, it makes even more sense from a holistic retirement standpoint to get those expenses off the book. Because if you don't have a mortgage payment, you're not pulling from your IRA and paying taxes on that money and devaluing your accounts to pay those mortgages. Even further so, if one of you dies, the widow tax, right? You're, you, know, you no longer have to take out that money and be taxed on it. You have your house to live on. So this should really be a huge goal of today's retiree. But the firm answer is getting an, get an amortization schedule of your current mortgage and look at the interest and look at how much left you have to pay with interest and principal and your total cost of the next five years. And then get an amortization schedule for what you want to refi and do a cost comparison and say, hey, you know what? You know, for five years, yeah, I'm going to be paying off, you know, uh, sixty thousand more dollars, and for fifteen, I'm, I'm pay off ninety five thousand more dollars. Well, did refining to save a couple percent really save you money? No, it cost you money. So you have to look at that total cost, interest payments, everything. And also remember that refining isn't free, right? A refinance can can cost you thousands of dollars. That you know you unnecessarily incurred um, just because you decide to refinance. Yeah, it's a great point. You got to be careful what the terms are, everything you're looking at, and, you know, uh, definitely get a full, clean picture and view of everything you're looking to do there in that situation, Ellen. And somebody like John, I mean, John, I know you're a financial advisor and you specialize in retirement, but are you helping your clients walk through questions like this if it comes to to mortgage? You know, I know you don't, you know, you're not selling mortgages and those kinds of things, but is that still kind of part of the the area of service, at least in sort of that guidance and advice and bringing that into the picture that you offer? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, you know, I always, I've got colleagues that we always talk every week and, and, um, you know, something I found from a colleague because I really started, especially with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, a lot of the retirement planning mastermind groups are, and, and, you know, guys that really are focusing on retirement, the, 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 the real, real thought leaders in the industry are saying, hey, listen, you know, even with interest rates being so low, you have to take into consideration taxes and tax write-offs. And, and stop with that mentality of, oh, 2%. Now we can, all we have to beat is 2%. So let's take that money and invest it. You know, think think about expense ratio or, or expenses and consumption and retirement that for your, for your more conservative investors and, and maybe even from a tax standpoint, it might be actually better just to pay the mortgage off sooner and, and not have that extra expense, that, that balance sheet item. So, you know, I, I actually do. I, I, I went out and bought a, uh, a friend of mine, a colleague recommended a, a mortgage amortization that kind of does all sorts of, you know, little scenarios. And I just, it's a standalone and, you know, I will definitely walk that through with my clients, especially some, you know, some, whether they're downsizing or just buying a new home or whatnot, you know, well, what do I do with all this capital gain? Should we invest it or should we, you know, pay it all, you know, buy the house outright, 
we'll look at all that other stuff. And, you know, the other thing I'll tell anyone who's has very little left to pay on their house or buys their house outright, right? I'm not saying it's right or wrong. You just have to you have to look at all the different angles because it may be appropriate for some people, may be inappropriate. If you do do it, you better contact your property and casualty agent and make sure you are more, have more than enough umbrella insurance and insurance for that house because God forbid, you know. And, and I always bring up a story. Uh, of a person I knew where they were had only had a couple of years left on their, their mortgage and they got in a, a bad car accident and, and the wife was at fault. And it was just a simple accident, but blew right through their auto coverage. And, you know, the house was a great target for the creditors. So keep that in mind. You know, you, you definitely, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you have that, you might get a little bit of an extra expense, but, you know, talk to a real quality, PNC uh, agent and make sure your your house is properly covered. Well, that's a good little uh, terrible story, but a good warning uh, beacon for a lot of other people who uh, you know could fall down a similar trap there. So great question, Ellen. You unpacked a lot of layers there for us, and uh, that was a fun road to go down. I, I feel like that's when the financial planning, yes, it gets more complex for you, John, but I got to think it gets more fun as you dive into details like that as well along with all the retirement and financial planning stuff, because you're also then working on stuff that people are like, you're getting them excited, you know, you get close to paying off your house or, you know, moving dollars around. You're starting to achieve some of those goals that you have in retirement. And um, I know that that can get infectious for you when you start, when people across from you start seeing the light bulb go off of like the realities of their retirement, at least most of the time, maybe, you know, starting to pan out, getting a little bit closer. That's got to be an exciting feeling. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, kind of going back to our our previous episode about, you know, I think we were talking about you know the sales pitch or or the product pushing, um, you know, it's it's kind of one thing that really I enjoy and and seeing that look and 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 my clients know that hey, this is about making your plan as efficient as possible. You know, I don't telling you to pay, you know to pay off your mortgage doesn't get me paid anymore. But if the numbers add up and and it's right for you, then you you, you understand where I'm coming from, right? So it, it, it's cool. And, and to really take an industry that you're not, you know, I mean, it's a financial industry, but it's more mortgage and lending and loans. Um, but, you know, I think as a quality holistic planner, you you know, it's a balance sheet item. It's an expense. You need to be well versed on it. And, you know, I like to be able to come, come at a, and, and have that discussion with the client and say, Hey, listen, you know, how come you haven't considered this? Well, you know, we, we never thought about that because, you know, we were always focused on our own investments or, or my advisor, you know, we just talk investments and investments are a small slice of the pie. So, you know, that's where they, they really see the nuances of the plan. And that's, you know, that's the stuff that I really geek out on. So I love it. Very cool. Well, if you want to get in touch with John Amarino and talk about getting your own financial plan in place, it's easy to get in touch. We talk about it all the time here on the show. 858-935-6210 is your number to dial. 
858-935-6210 or online at gosecurus.com. That's gosecurus.com. And we'll put contact info in the show notes section of today's episode. So just go check that out if you need to get in touch that way. John, thank you so much for your help and guidance on the program today. Really enjoyed it. And we'll look forward to another chat with you next time. Yeah, as always, it's a fun time, Walter. Yep, good stuff. Thanks for joining us on the show today. For John Amarino, San Diego's premier holistic retirement advisor, I'm Walter Shortholt. We'll talk to you next time on the Retire Happy Podcast. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and Securus Financial are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM, but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents. The opinions expressed by John Amarino and guests on this radio show are their own and are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Any strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to subject covered.